Chapter 3, The Next Day. Did you ever have a terrible dream, a dream so vivid and close to reality that you could swear it happened? I've had them, and then I'd wake up, shake my head, and not believe it didn't happen. Well, the next morning I woke up, opened my eyes, and as I lay in bed staring at the ceiling for about five minutes, my mind began to process what had happened. I tried to evaluate the enormity of the situation, then it hit me. I got a fucking DWI. What does this mean? What do I do? Who do I call? Oh, shit. I'm a pretty calm individual, and I've always been the one not to panic in a time of crisis, but I must admit I was shaken. Okay, get your ass out of bed. Get yourself together and deal with this. You got yourself into this, and you'll get yourself out of it. Take a shower, get some coffee, start your day, and do what you have to do. Got up, made the bed, went to the bathroom, and began my daily routine. Brush my teeth and the three S's. Shower, shave, and show me the way out of this. Finished. I look out the window, and my Lincoln is still there. I remember that I got to get Gina's car. Damn it. This means I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to tell my ex-wife about this because Gina's car is in her name. I can hear it now. This is perfect for her. She's been calling me a functional alcoholic for years. Maybe she's right. But there's no way I want to tell her about this and let her know what happened. All right, let's get some coffee and I'll feel better. I get the car and drive to the Dunkin' Donuts right up the block. The girl who's there every morning greets me and I act as if nothing happened. I get my coffee, sit at the table, read the newspaper, no box scores from last night. Remember, the Yankees and Mets were both off. So I kind of browse through the New York Post and the Newsday, actually browsing and staring at the space at the same time, absolutely not concentrating on anything but the thought of what had happened last night. I finish the papers and ask for a refill. I'm going to need one. Back in the car, back to my place. Shit. All right, get yourself together. So I go on the internet, Google DWI in New York State. Oh, man, lawyers, advertising, like you wouldn't believe. Finally, I find a website that tells me what I didn't want to know. I'm in big trouble. Not only do I have a DWI, but a .18 is an aggravated DWI, which ain't good. I read and reread, hoping to find some form of a silver lining. Not a chance. All right, let me call the trooper barracks. Maybe I'll get a trooper on the phone. Maybe I'll get trooper two, and I can talk my way out of this. Recorded message, no voicemail. They ain't talking to no one. All right, I got to get Gina's car. So I call the impound shop, and they tell me what I already knew and didn't want to hear. They'll release the car only to the registered owner, Rosemary. Rose, Palermo, my ex-wife. Damn it. Reflecting, I realized how lucky I was. The fact that I was driving Gina's car and not my own allowed me to keep my car. Had it been my car, I'm not sure I would have gotten back right away. Also, the fact that I was picked up by state troopers and not the Nassau County Police meant that I went to the trooper barracks and not to a holding cell at the county jail in Hempstead to await arraignment in the morning. I also got to hold on to my license for 20 days until my court appearance on August 3rd. But then again, maybe a Nassau County cop would have called Zoe and I'd have gotten away with it. Who the hell knows? My mind was racing. I got to get Gina's car and that means I got to call Rose. 
She works for a lawyer, and she is a very intelligent girl. I'm the one who pushed and prodded her to use her skills, get a job, and move her life forward. Now she's in charge of the office and excelling in every aspect of her position. Hi, it's me, I sheepishly state. I know who it is, she replies matter-of-factly. I need you, I tell her. She asked me why, and I tell her that I really, really didn't want to get into it on the phone. I explained to her that we have to get Gina's car, and it could take about an hour. Can you meet me when you go to lunch? One common goal we have, and one bond, is that we both love our children. So I know, as soon as I said it was for Gina, we'd be good to go. We agree to meet at the house at 1 o'clock. Now here comes the hard part. I've got to explain this entire scenario to her. She arrives, we get in my car... And as we're driving, I tell her that I got a DWI last night. Surprisingly calm, she asks, and you're admitting this to me? I laugh, thinking to myself, I have no fucking choice. We get to the impound shop, pick up the car without issue. When we get back to the house, I ask her not to tell the girls, not to tell Mary, especially Mary, because Mary would probably blame herself. I'll tell them myself which I had every intention of doing. Maybe this will be a lesson for all of us. Between the time I got off the phone with Rose and our one o'clock meeting, it became apparent that I was going to need a lawyer. Zolt told me this when he picked me up. He knew someone who was a criminal lawyer and specialized in DWI cases. I called Zolt, and after he asked me how I was doing, he gave me the phone number of a lawyer. Then I called my buddy Scott Branker, also a lawyer. Scott is a personal injury attorney. He didn't handle DWIs, but he made a few calls for me and relayed what I already knew. Not good. My mind is working. Who do I know? Ah, Freddie Annabelle, my fraternity brother from college. His brother Bob and I went were pretty tight, and I knew Fred specialized in criminal law. I left a message on his voicemail. Called the guy Zolt recommended, and he suggested I come to the office that afternoon for a conference. Bring the citations with you. Okay, one more call. Lee Kleinhardt, a lawyer who got me out of some minor traffic bullshit a few years earlier. Seatbelt, stop sign, that type of stuff. I left Lee a message on his voicemail. Then I called back the guy Zolt recommended to schedule a conference that afternoon. Why wait? Let's see what he's got to say. He schedules me for a 2 o'clock meeting, reminding me to bring the citations. He tells me that the office is in Farmingdale, across the street from the Raven's Nest, you know, the strip club you used to go to. He chuckles. I chuckle back. I was never in there. Not my thing. And it's not my thing. For 61 years of my life, I think I've been to a strip club maybe four or five times. I never understood this infatuation with watching a girl get naked so I might get aroused and walk out of the club with my dick in my hands. We both laugh again. I hang up and get the feeling that this should be an interesting meeting. I arrive at 2 o'clock. The receptionist asks me to fill out some paperwork, and while doing so, a voice booms through the speaker in the lobby. You want some coffee? The receptionist laughs. That's Keith. Would you like some coffee? No, thanks. She then leads me into a conference room where Keith Lavalli, attorney at law, is sitting at one end of a long conference table with a yellow legal pad in front of him. He stands up, shakes my hand, and invites me to sit down. I hand him the citations, and I go through the entire story. Keith seems like a nice guy, very impressed with himself. I get mixed vibes. 
He lets me know that state troopers are a problem and informs me that he's aware of the two of them. Munis, Trooper 1, he's always been a pain in the ass. Let's hope that between now and then, or between now and the time we go to trial, if we go to trial, he'll uh, get himself into trouble. Solomon, Trooper 2, is okay. He's not a bad guy. He called Trooper 2 Duquesne by his first name to let me know he knows him on a first name basis. We go through the conference and he lets me know that he does not go to court with me on August 3rd. His associate, Joe Carbone, does. Also, because I'm a friend of Zolt, his fee is 4000 bucks, and that if he has to go to conference or a conference before trial, or we have to go to trial, there would be an additional fee. He walks me outside the building, and just about that time, Joe Carbone drives up and gets out of the car. Joe Carbone is a big guy. Keith introduces us. We shake hands, make some small talk. I thank him and get in my car and drive away. I'm ambivalent about the situation. The fact that Keith wasn't going to court and that Joe Carbone was just didn't do it for me. The 4000 bucks. well, let me see what Fred and Kleinhardt have to say. I drive to Nicky's of Centerport to grab something to eat. I'd hung out there for years, ever since I'd moved to Huntington after my separation from Rose. I'm hungry and thirsty. Centerport is about 15 miles from Farmingdale, and while driving, I'm trying to process all of this. My mind is wandering. And then it occurred to me, it's my sister Janice's birthday.